0: the end of psalm 27 is a familiar verse just quote it that's not where we're going to end up but the psalmist says wait on the Lord and be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart wait I say on the Lord it's not easy to wait on God sometimes is it we feel like we're being negligent we need to get busy doing stuff And yet sometimes God is instructing us very clearly to do exactly that. Don't get ahead of me. Don't get sidetracked. Now, waiting on God is not the same thing as just being lazy. It isn't the same thing as being apathetic. There's still a need to be active and obedient while we're waiting on the Lord it just may be we're waiting in this category and at the same time he wants us doing other things you say you know but I I wish I was more in the loop with God that he would tell me what he's up to all in due time and I think we we stand back when we get those moments where we finally see it kind of crystallizes for us oh that's what this pause in my life was about oh that's what this interlude was all about read this account by a pastor who relates a personal experience and I think all of us can probably connect with what he's saying here in our own way it's what I refer to as a divine appointment and I'll explain what I mean by that in just a minute although he doesn't use that exact phrase. He says, I had an experience of waiting that was very difficult a number of years ago. Another pastor and I were supposed to fly to Bogota, Colombia, to meet with the leadership of a prison ministry there. We had to make connections in Miami. It was a difficult trip that we didn't really want to make because we had to bring the bad news to our brothers and sisters in Colombia that we were not going to be involved in their ministry anymore for very important reasons also it was time when the Colombian drug lords were running the country and American businessmen were being kidnapped off the streets so we felt some fear and apprehension but we knew that it was the right thing to do so we left San Francisco at 7 a.m. and we were supposed to catch a 4 p.m. flight to Bogota in Miami but because of mechanical problems, we missed that flight and ended up having to wait for 24 hours in Miami. Late that night, after a full day of traveling, we were in a shuttle bus being driven to North Miami to sleep in some fleabag hotel that the airline had grudgingly provided for us. We were not in the best of moods, to confess, honestly. Ed and I were talking about what was going on. Why is God doing this? What does it all mean? We were the last people to get off the bus. The Jamaican bus driver said to us, You men are Christians, aren't you? Yes, we replied. He continued, I asked God last week to bring me in contact with a Christian who could tell me how to accept Jesus. We both said, That's what's going on here. We had the amazing pleasure of praying with this dear brother, as he came to faith in Christ. A divine appointment. It was not an appointment that they had on their calendar, but God had on his calendar for them. And God has things laid out for us in our lives, but we have to make sure that we don't become so frustrated with God's unfurling and unfolding of his plans and his timing that we miss out on the blessing when it comes. As we're continuing our series in the book of Acts, I'm calling Witnesses of the Word. We're still at the beginning stages of the early church. Jesus, we saw last week, has ascended back into heaven. And he's told them in verse 4 of this chapter to wait. Wait for the promise of the Father. Okay. Okay. We need to wait. But what can we do while we wait? What questions should we perhaps be asking ourselves and examining as we're in this waiting for what comes next so that we are not idle and apathetic and lazy, but neither are we rushing ahead and trying to force God's time schedule. I want us to begin by looking at verses 12 through 14 as we consider, first of all, the question, am I complying in the area of prayer? Am am I in sync with what God is doing in my life by showing and demonstrating through my behavior in my prayer life? Let me read verses 12 through 14. It says, Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into the upper room, where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zalotus, Judas the brother of James just a little background what's going on here it mentions a Sabbath day's journey in verse 12 Uh, that would have been defined as 2,000 cubits in their measuring what does that equate to today approximately three quarters of a mile that's not much distance and of course we know that was the pharisaical interpretation this was not something that was biblically given but imposed but nonetheless it is it is mentioned because it was so much a part of the culture of the day it's not far off is the point the definite article in verse 13 that is used in the original we don't see it here in our authorized version but it wasn't just any upper room it was the upper room And therefore, it likely refers to the same room that was used for the Lord's Supper that's mentioned in Luke 22, verses 11 and 12. They've come back to a very significant spot, not necessarily to suggest that they believe there was some sort of spiritual energy that was locked up in that, but I think we all appreciate as human beings going to certain places that help us because of what we associate with them and because of what God has shown us and, and how we've learned things from the Lord, we, we have those special places in our lives. And then we have the list of these men that were closely associated with the, the Lord in verse 13. The list of apostles. Now this list is, of course, missing one person out of the 12. Other than that, it's identical as far as the names, both in Luke 6, 14... Matthew 10, verse 2, and Mark 3, 16. What's interesting is in every listing of these twelve, of course, minus one here, they are listed as three groups of four. It's almost like there were inner circles within the circle of men. It's always the same four men in each group, though they're listed in different orders within that group. Peter's always the first of his group when listed. Philip is always first in group B. And James, the son of Alphaeus, is always the lead off in the final group. This is also the very last mention of Mary, the mother of Jesus in our New Testament. Nothing else that is spoken of her in this way. But what do we know about these men? Well, they're called disciples in our Bibles what does that mean exactly the word simply means a learner we know that they're often referred to as apostles say is that just sort of the same thing well it's the same it's a, it's referring to the same group of men but apostle means a sent one or an ambassador and so they're they're both of these throughout their lives by the way as an ambassador we represent an authority greater than ourselves jesus christ is who they represented and yet as long as they were ambassadors they still remained disciples of jesus christ learning growing in grace does that not fit all of us that are children of god as well we may not have been commissioned to that list of 12 but nonetheless we are ambassadors of christ as paul said we're all in that role We beseech others that they be reconciled to Christ. You're estranged from the Lord, but come back to Him through Jesus Christ and His atoning blood on the cross. We're all called to do that. And I dare say none of us in here thinks that we've arrived as far as our knowledge of the Bible and of spiritual matters. Hopefully as we've grown, we've moved from from the milk of the Word to strong meat we're growing in that way. We're learning new things, but there never comes that time where we enter a day and think, "God, you have nothing to teach me today." You can be sure that's a day that God's going to sit us down and school us quite well, probably. And so, these men, as as strong of leaders as they were, as as, as impressive as they are, their names will be forever emblazoned, even in the New Jerusalem. But all of us are called to do the same functions that they are. But what do they do? They meet with one accord, it says. That same phrase is used in Romans 15, 6, but in our King James Bible it's translated as one mind. That sort of helps us to understand what it means to be in one accord. There is a unity, or we would say a harmony, of philosophical thinking doesn't mean we're identical in everything doesn't mean we have all the same taste it doesn't even mean that there's a complete absence of disagreements about certain things but it does mean we share a common goal that's what these men had they had a common goal to serve jesus christ now absent physically from planet earth but still they realized that they were called upon to carry on the mission of what jesus had established for them and so with this and it's very important we understand there was a unity of purpose in their prayer meeting they came together what did jesus tell us last well there's going to be a promise there's going to be power we need to wait we need to expect we need to anticipate it we need to not get the cart before the horse by rushing out of here and feeling like we need to make something happen. Some have have observed a cycle in the book of Acts as you read through it, and hopefully you'll see this as we journey together on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings through this book, that there is a, a pattern, a four-part pattern. There is a beginning stage one of prayer. And as they pray very conscientiously, you see God blessing with a, spiritual divine power that comes to the people that are praying that once they have that power you see that there is then a proclamation of the word they they can't help but sort of pour out of their lives the message as ambassadors and of course once they do that there is also a fourth stage of proclamation of rather of persecution so prayer power proclamation persecution over and over again folks we should not be surprised if we get down on our knees before god and we really pray for god to use us and to give us power that there will come that power that will come that special enablement of the holy spirit to assist us in our witnessing efforts in our serving him and that it will move us to speak for the Lord Jesus Christ in ways that we don't have with our own personality. You say, I'm an introvert. The Holy Spirit isn't the introvert. He will help you say what needs to be said. But let's not think that once that message gets out, that people are going to throw some sort of ticker tape parade for us saying, Oh, wonderful. There are those Jamaican bus drivers out there that God's working on in that way. But remember, we are fighting against an invisible foe. Who hates more than anything else? The Son of God, Jesus Christ. Hates more than anything else for the church to be obedient in giving out the gospel message. And so there will be persecution if we are living right. There will be those that will alienate from us. There will be those that will smear us. And we need to expect that if we are doing the work that the Lord has called us to do. But it begins with prayer. So for what were they praying? We're not told specifically. But it is not a stretch to believe that they were praying for the promise of power that's mentioned in verse 8. It is a promise. Jesus said it's going to come. Some might say, why are we praying for this? If Jesus said it's going to come, it's going to come whether we pray for it or not. But the prayer is not about us changing God. It's not trying to necessarily urge Him. God, just don't want you to forget what you said. Prayer is not about changing God, but it's it's the changing and preparing of the person who does the praying. It's, It's us, as we get down in our face before God and praying, that prepares our hearts humbly for what is about to come, how He's going to use us so how might they pray in this chapter and so that we might learn from it as well they might have said something like this that would be in connection with what the word of god is teaching lord send in your perfect time this power that you promised and enable us in patience until your appointed time oh isn't that true isn't it difficult sometimes to wait patiently We live in a society of microwaves and free two-day shipping. And so quite frankly, most of us by nature struggle with being gracious waiters on God. And so maybe it's a good way for us to pray, Lord, give me that spirit of long-suffering and patience. They might also have said, may we be faithful in the exercise of the power with which we shall be endued. You said you're going to give us power. Well, we want to be wise with that. We want to use it rightly. We could think of examples of believers that were given power and they abused it, such as Samson in the book of Judges. He was given an amazing, unique power, that with the Spirit of God coming upon him, and yet... He abused it. He used it for his own lustful purposes. And so that is a wise way for us to pray. They might also have said, give us a boldness so that we might not turn away from opportunities which are of your making. Our our antennas need to be up. We need to be focused as we go through the day, looking. You know, it's kind of like you're on a, a scavenger hunt. Or like when the children are, are looking for, you know, the plastic Easter eggs that are hidden in the grass and bushes. You're out there focused, looking for something in particular. You're not just like we do like two months later. You're mowing the grass and all of a sudden one pops out. It's like, oh, an Easter egg, right? No, we need to have the spirit of the former rather than the latter. Lord, will you use me today? I I as a believer, talking about us now in the modern century, now that the Holy Spirit has come, I have the Holy Spirit. Lord, what divine appointment might you have for me today? Help me to be on the alert for that. They might also have prayed, may the presence of Christ on the earth be manifest through our testimony through this power. In other words, it's not that people would look at us and say, aren't those amazing men? And and we'll see as we come into chapter 2 that there is a response to almost be in awe of these men, and yet the men are very quick to, to say, no, you need to be looking at Jesus. He's, he's why we're here. And we need to do the same thing. We need to make sure that we are pointing everything back to Jesus Christ. Why? Because... We are not the authorities, we are the ambassadors, just as these men were. But they understood the importance of having a right attitude of prayer, complying in prayer, bending their will to the divine will. Secondly, we might ask ourselves Am I considering the guidance that I've already been made available to me? Am I considering the guidance already available? Look at verses 15 through 22. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of them, the names together, were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity. Remember the pieces of silver. And falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, inasmuch as that field is called in the proper tongue a which is to say the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein. And his bishopric or we would say his office as an apostle, let another man take. Wherefore of these men which have companied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, his earthly ministry, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taking up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabas who was surnamed Justice and, secondly, Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. And so here is the group saying, while we're waiting and we've prayed, and maybe sometimes that's all that they would have been called upon to do, But as you're praying, it's amazing how God can bring his word with very great specificity to your mind for certain situations. He will bring those things into remembrance. It says here, the number of names implies for us, first of all, an official role. Perhaps this is the first allusion to a, a membership roster of believers. Some people say, well, why do we need to have, quote, membership in a church? Why can not right? we just all gather together? Well, you, you have to have some way of identifying when people show up who considers them part of the church and who doesn't. And so here, when it says the number of names... Obviously, there was something that indicated whether they had it written down or they just knew who each other were, is that this was the, the embryonic stage of the church, we might say. In Matthew 27, 5, we're told that Judas went out and hung himself, which he did. So some people say, is this a contradiction in Scripture? Which did he do? Did he hang himself? But verse 18 explains that why it's called a field of blood. One commentator points out a, a very simple way to harmonize these two accounts. He says that apparently that this tree that he hung himself on, perhaps that the branch broke, and when he fell out, his body fell down, perhaps on the rocky ground below him, then his bowels gushed out upon the impact with the ground. So we don't have a contradiction, we just have events related from one story in one way, and other added on that weren't mentioned before but what we're really looking at in this passage of scripture when we talk about considering the guidance already available is to make sure we don't soften previous expectations what do i mean by that part of the earlier company of disciples during the earthly ministry was one of the things that they said needs to take place in other words it isn't someone that has has just showed up today for the first time there's been a track record they've been a part of walking with the Lord they've seen his miracles they've heard his teachings they started out from the very beginning and an eyewitness of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ not not that they saw him actually come out of the tomb but that they saw the Lord and there were many that fit in that category remember though the Bible doesn't always Identify. There were crowds and multitudes that followed Jesus around, and apparently these two names were among those that fit that description. Now, there might have been a temptation to say, you know, but there's this person. Then he is just an outstanding leader. He would he would do so much for our company if we added him in. But he he didn't see the Lord resurrected, his bodily resurrect. They didn't see him after he was resurrected physically can't be an eyewitness of that but do we really need to be firm on that we're not entirely sure how they came up with these qualifications but they were firm on them for good reasons it would underscore the faith so that they could have the authority to lead that they needed to i think sometimes that as we move forward in the church age that we begin to feel like we need to make concessions on those areas where the Scripture does speak very specifically to. There are guidelines given to us of what qualifies as a deacon, what qualifies as an elder or a pastor in the church. And, I, and I've heard with an alarming amount of voices sometimes, well, you know, that was true back in the first century, but, you know, we we're just having such a hard time finding qualified individuals maybe we need to forego some of these qualifications where is our faith why not say lord this is what your word has stipulated we want to honor you and so raise up the individuals challenge our people to meet these qualifications so that we can honor you because everything we do is by faith anyway so why not have faith that god will raise up the right person It's also entirely possible, as one commentator put it, that out of the 120 that were there that day, and maybe there were more that weren't there at that moment, would have been qualified or could have been qualified in some capacity as far as loving Jesus. Maybe these were the only two who fit both of those qualifications that they knew of. And so there was a need to say, God, we want to honor you. We want to set the standard high. But what does happen here is during the meditation on the word, it occurs to Peter that there is an action that needs to be taken. In other words, wait, we're praying, and that's good, but there's something else that it has occurred to me that the Bible says that we should be taken care of, and we don't necessarily need to be waiting for that power to come because this is what the Scripture says, so we don't need to be saying, well, let me pray about it. Sometimes you'll hear people when you confront them or you show them scripture and say, well, you know what, here's what the word of God says. Hmm, let me pray about it. No, here's what the word of God says. Let's be obedient to it. It's Psalm 41.9. It says, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. We call that a messianic psalm. It is referring to what Christ would be saying. And, of course, that is exactly what happened. Judas betrayed him, lifted up his heel. He ate bread with the Lord. But it's verse 25 of Psalm 69 that Peter had thought in his mind, let their habitation be desolate and let none dwell in their tents. And the, the Holy Spirit and the guidance that God was giving to him at this point was indicating to Peter that this applied to Judas. And so he makes that application and challenges the believers. It has been suggested that perhaps God was waiting for this embryonic church to respond to the illumination they already had before the dispensing of the Spirit would take place. You know, and sometimes God is waiting for us to be obedient to the spiritual light He has already given to us before He will shine additional light into our lives. As I've mentioned before, when God was leading the children of Israel, when they came to the Red Sea, the waters parted before them and they could see the dry path before them. But when they were ready to enter into the promised land and they had to cross the swelling tides of the Jordan River, it didn't happen that way. The priest had to begin to step first and as that obedient step into the water took place, the waters parted before them. Sometimes God just parts the waters for us and says, here's the direction. Other times he says, now you can't see what's going to happen, but I want you to step in faith. And where the word of God is very clear, we need to trust him that when we step, the waters will part. It appears that that's exactly what Peter felt was going on here. It's important that we learn to absorb all the principles and precepts at our disposal from Scripture. What all has God said, and am I be obedient to what He has already shown me? I don't need to be praying for, Holy Spirit, show me something unique and something that is you know, particular to me if I'm ignoring what He has objectively shown me in His Scripture already. There's a third question we need to be asking ourselves that I see from this text. And that is, am I conforming to the divine direction of God? Again, picking up in verse 23 to verse 26, it says, Beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. They appointed the two, Joseph, called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, knowest the hearts of all men. Show whether of these two men thou hast chosen. Verse 25, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, and that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Am I conforming to the divine direction of God? Verse 23 talked about the the discerning, the wisdom of qualified individuals. Not ingenuity that they came up just on their own, but that God had endued them with. Scriptural understanding, wisdom. Hey, we're following what God's Word has to say. But they realized they weren't going to come to a specific selection just from reading the Bible. Just like we understand. Well, I need to be an ambassador of Christ. That is the general concept. I need to be, as I'm going into the world, I need to teach the gospel to every creature. I need to be sharing the gospel. But what does that look like when it comes to Monday? Because do I hop on a plane and fly to the Philippines and witness to someone in Manila? Or... Do I pray and ask God to impress someone upon my heart? And, and maybe he'll just, as I'm getting in my car and I see my neighbor coming out of the house, it's just like something hits me and realize, you know what, why don't you later take something over to them and say, just thinking of you, wanted to be a blessing. What's going on in your life? You know, I, I, I try to pray for you regularly. Anything I can pray for you in my life. And, and, and you'd be amazed at maybe how God gives you a divine appointment as the Spirit of God leads you. There's this dependence that's going on here on God's omniscience. Verses 24 to 26 shows us that. They're praying saying, Lord, you're the one that knows the hearts. We don't know hearts. All we can do is look on the outward appearance. So we're crying out to you for, for guidance here. Casting lots, there's been a lot of speculation as to what this might look like. Some suggest that these were little stones that would be put into a bag, shaken up, and and then the results, as they would somehow stipulate, it would say, okay, this is God doing this. Proverbs tells us that the casting of the lots is of the Lord. There's nothing, there's no such thing as really luck when you consider the sovereignty of God. And so they were asking God to to take care of the disposing of this final matter we've picked two qualified men but we have the inability to decide who is the right one so god you make the final decisions what's going on here see there is an effort on man's part to interfere as little as possible with the divine working of god god i want to be used by you but i don't want to get in the way We must be cautious to not project our wishes, our intentions, our preferences on the outcoming of God's moving. You see, we we all are biased. There is no such thing. We sometimes hear the media say, unbiased. No, I'm sorry, there is no such thing as unbiased. If you're a human being, you have some sort of bias. If nothing else, by what you fail to say, or what you give a uh predominance of attention to you might say well i'm not i'm not making a final statement on this but you can certainly lead people by your bias nonetheless but i love the spirit of these men and this is what's supposed to be coming down to us today is i need to have this infused into my own spirit and attitude as i go through and serve jesus christ today lord help me to be as faithful and do as much as you'd have me to do but lord Help me not to get in the way of what you're doing either. You know, another element that must be considered is that Christ knew that these men just needed a little bit of a break and an opportunity to prepare for what lied before them. That, that need to have a little respite from the busyness of ministry that's going to hit them. And they're in for a lot. They're going to be seeing souls come to know Christ in multitudes and there's going to be a lot of discipleship i mean all these baby christians and they're coming out of a judaism background and they have to be shown that christ was all those things that they've learned about their feasts and festivals and offerings were foreshadowings of jesus christ they've got a lot of work and then they've got the opposition of the religious leaders of the Jude- sadducees and the pharisees and the high priests that are still trying to squelch this whole Christianity thing. The Romans aren't too happy with them either. They need a little bit of a breathing time. According to tradition, this is not from the Bible, but from extra biblical information, so we can't say for certain that this happened, but more of a history. According to tradition, when the Apostle John was bishop in Ephesus, his hobby was believed to be raising pigeons. On one occasion, an Ephesian elder passed his house and as he returned from hunting, when he saw John playing with one of his birds, he gently chided the old bishop for spending his time so frivolously. John looked at his critic's bow and arrow and remarked that the string was loosened. Yes, said the huntsman. I also loosen the string of my bow when it's not in use. If it's always staying tight, it would lose its rebounding quality and fail me at the time of the hunt. And I, said John, am now relaxing the bow of my mind so that I may be better able to shoot the arrows of divine truth when the time comes. Now, I think we have to be careful that we don't abuse those moments of relaxation as an occasion for our flesh. It's easy for us to take time off and to feed our carnal spirit. But I think there is appropriate Christ-honoring hobbies and pastimes where we can draw close to the Lord and we can have that reprieve and know that we're lifting up Jesus Christ even by our relaxation. For it was our God that said, labor six days, but take a day of rest. Don't be working all the time. And so these men are in a waiting mode. They are waiting because God divinely appointed them to wait. But they are not idle. They are still, even at this time of repose, without all the stress of what's about to happen and the fury of ministry, they're still able to have a season of prayer that no doubt had a wonderful, redeeming nature for their souls. They're also enjoying the Scripture. They're not finding this to be academic, but healing. And so may we learn from the example that as we're called to often wait on the Lord, that He has yet something that is out there. We're praying, God, show me how to handle this situation. What am I supposed to do about this? How do I reach out to that individual? And yet the answer isn't materializing at that exact moment. We need to be busy being obedient, submissive, as our soul takes nourishment and what God washes over us as only his Holy Spirit can do for us. And So while we wait, let us honor Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Lord, to the reminder to us that the work is not predominantly our work. It's your work, but what a great privilege it is to be a servant in your fields. And so, Father, may we not become impetuous, rushing ahead, messing things up because we're trying to make things happen in a way that we imagine they should. But, Lord, may we be careful to do everything with a spirit of prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, letting our request be made known unto you. Lord, give us that spirit of gratitude as we do so, as your word promises us. Lord, we want to be a faithful church. Lord, may we rest in your strength and your guidance as we do so. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.